You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Amen. It is a blessing to hear how the various gifts in our church are being being uh, used to bless others from the very littlest to the to even the most senior. Well, good morning. I am looking forward to opening the Word together with you this morning. So if you brought your Bible, and I certainly hope that you did, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, if you want to make your way to Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. If you did not bring a Bible, on one of the, uh, one of the seats in front of you underneath, there's a Bible somewhere close by. That'll be on page 1006. I just want to encourage we have Bibles open on laps as we follow along and look to God's Word and, uh, and hear from God's Word together. So I'd like to start with the reading of that text, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. It says, For by grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another according to the grace given us. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, I I ask that you would open eyes this morning, that you would open our ears this morning to hear from your word, to see it, and to do it. Lord, there's much here as we continue in this journey through Romans. Help us to remember all that has come before and hear this now, and, and God, help me to preach this faithfully and help it to transform us. Thank you that we can gather together as one body. Grow and unite this body. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I want to front load something here before we begin. I just want to share this. A good measure of how a person thinks uh, of himself and the relationship to others and how we think about ourselves in relation to our brothers and sisters in Christ is how we leave a public restroom or a shared restroom when we're done. Now, it's not my intention to get graphic here, but, but think about the guy who goes in or even think about yourself. Does this, does this guy make a mess and walk away? Do you make a mess and just leave it for others? And, and before, I want to continue this question, but there's a ringing up here. Can we get that? It's really ringing up here. So um, if we could kind of work on that, that'd be really, I don't know what it is. Um, so back to my question. How do we leave a bathroom when we're done? How... Do we think of others when we're in the restroom and, and those who are going to come behind us and those who are going to clean up the restroom? If we, if we leave a splashy mess on the sink, do we wipe that up? Uh, are, we, are we thinking about those who are going to come in and use the restroom when we're done as far as just how do we leave a public restroom when we use a public restroom? I mean, we could go look at the church restroom right now and we could probably get an answer to that question. And that applies to all of us. I mean, I know a lot of the ladies are like, oh yeah, the men, they really trash a bathroom. But you know what? I've cleaned the bathrooms here at the building and, and so, have, so have others. And I know 
The women are not off the hook either. In this letter to the, to the church in Rome, Paul is urging his hearers to give themselves completely over to live for God, to give themselves to God, and that's an act of worship. He's telling us not to be conformed to this world. right? And now he's showing his readers what it looks like not to be conformed to this world and what it looks like to be transformed to God's will. And in the text we're looking at today, it's how we relate to one another. Whatever you guys just did, that fixed it, so thank you. That's what we're going to see here in the text, and, and I just want to put it on the front end. We are called to view others with humility and honesty, and we're called to think highly of them. Like That's God's instruction for us here. And it's not just for our blessing, it's not just that we get to be recipients of that, but it's for our mission as the church, as God's people, and I hope that's what we see this morning. So let's look back again at verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. All right, Paul loves to use this really cool tool. Uh, it's called the negative positive tool. What he does is he makes a point with the positive. And then he comes in behind and he makes the same point using a negative. Or sometimes he'll start with the negative and he'll end with the positive. It's basically a don't do this, instead do that. Right? It's a way to help us not be confused. It dials in his point a little more clearly. The classic way to explain this, and I've heard it explained by many preachers, is to say meet me at, the, uh, at this particular clock in a particular train station. Or maybe for our context, meet me at the the covered seating area at the Bountiful Park. And if you're familiar with the Bountiful Park, you know there's more than one covered seating area at the Bountiful Park. So meet me at the covered seating area, but not the one by the parking lot. Instead, the one by the play equipment. Negative, positive. See how that works? It, it helps us get a clearer picture. And so Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. That's the negative. And then he comes in behind it with the positive, and he says... Instead, think sensibly right, and see that God has given a measure of his grace and he's given gifts to each one of us, negative, positive. Don't think this way. Instead, think that way about others, which just makes perfect sense to us, or it should in light of what we looked at last week, in light of what Paul has just said in the earlier verse. He said, do not be conformed to this age, negative, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Don't do this, do this. We need to think correctly, and the subject of our thinking in the text we're looking at today is the body of Christ. We need to think rightly about one another and think highly of them. Now, it'd be very easy just to grab onto that text, think highly of people. It'd be very simple to go, okay, that's great. I'm going to make that a task. I'm going to shoot for that. That's my goal. And I can measure if I think well about people. And you go, okay, good job, I did that today. Gold star, I'm doing it. But it doesn't stop with how you think about people. There's actually a reason, there's a purpose behind this. There's a reason why we think more sensibly and specifically about our brothers and sisters in the church. Look at verses four through eight. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, 
In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the gifts given us, we have different gifts. And then he goes on with the different gifts. He's showing us that there are different gifts for a purpose. We're to think about one another in a certain way for a purpose. And it's because there's one body. We are only a part of one body, and we need to be thinking better about us as the church. It's his family. It's a faith family, and the biblical word for that is the church. Paul explains the same idea in a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. If you would like to go there, uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 31. I didn't mark my Bible so we could have a race. Somebody's already there because you got a phone app and you just shot right there, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. I'm there. Are you there? All right. I still hear some pages rustling, but I think we got there. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is, is it, not, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts of one body, excuse me, many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are the weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, excuse, yeah, instead God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. We are a body. 
We are in this together. Unfortunately, in our sin nature, we are really selfish. We are just a selfish people. We want to call all the shots. We want to define the narrative, and and this is what it should be, and this is what the church should look like, and this is what should happen in the body, and we want it to be all about us. If you really think about it, nobody ever wants the church to be something that they don't like. Nobody ever thinks that's what should be happening. They want it to be about what they want. It's all about us. In fact, we even get jealous when it's not about us. We get jealous when we can't call the shots, when we can't drive the train. But God has given us gifts each that contribute to the whole. We each do have a gift. We each do have a part. Why does it work like that? Why would God do it that way? It's because he's showing us that we need each other. None of these gifts work well alone. God has designed it that way. It's part of his plan. We need to think more highly of others so that we can fight our own sinful desires and also see our minds transformed to the will of God. He's saying, look, submit to this because it's for your good and your blessing that you would follow my ways. And so he's given us all gifts. In Romans, he lists some of the gifts. He says, um, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, generosity, leading, and mercy. And then in 1 Corinthians, he gives us a different list. Some of them overlap. He says apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. These are not mutually exclusive. There's there's more to this if we read elsewhere in the Bible. But I hear so many people come to me and they say, "I I just don't know if I have a place in this church, especially because I just don't have gifts that will benefit the church. I'm not a preacher. I can't do that work. I don't play music. I can't be on the worship team. I'm not really able to teach a small group. I don't really have a lot of time, so I I guess I don't have a gift for the church. Nonsense. That's just goofy. Did you see some of the gifts? Did you see what was in the list? Let's break just a few of them down, because I know everybody has a place somewhere. Maybe you don't have some that look very specific, but how about service or helping? I mean, there are so many ways to serve and help others. So many ways. There are so many ways to lift the burden of another. I mean, just think of the ways that someone could lift your burden and and you could do that for others. By the way, praying is serving. Appealing to the Lord that God would do something for another. Interceding, that's service. I remember some people that we've since buried and sent on to glory who even in the hospital at the very end were praying for you and for this church. I know another who can hardly see and who can hardly hear, but I know he prays for this church. Praying is serving others, and you can do that. We can all do that. And think about all the little things that people in this church do for one another to help lift the burden of one another, to serve and to, to help. Think about, think about the meals and the, the, the meal trains and how can we help. Think about the phone calls of encouragement and help. Think about you know, the cherry tree. Come pick all the cherries off my tree. Think about the, the car rides. Think about the texts of encouragement. Think about the babysitting. And the list goes on and on and on of the things that we can do to help and encourage one another. There are so many ways to help. And there are ways you can help here at the church building too. Somebody cleaned up and, and weeded out all the flower bed. That didn't just magically happen. 
And that was people in the church. By the way, some very old people, some very young people, some with back surgeries. It's a miracle that that didn't just fall apart completely. But praise the Lord. How about people who clean the building? Somebody has to clean up after all those who don't think highly of others in the restroom. Right? Somebody has to do that. We have to serve one another. How about the people making coffee? How about the people grading you when you came in? How about the people who led the class that you appreciate? How about the people who are serving back there in children's ministry in the class hour and now? How about the people who are watching the cameras to keep the building safe? There are lots and lots and lots of ways in which we can serve one another here. The people working in the AV booth, people who are playing music, people who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper, collect the offering. There are plenty of ways to serve inside and outside the church. If you don't think you have a place, you can serve and you can help. That's a gift given to us from the Lord. And the list is plentiful. How about mercy? How about mercy? Have you really, have you really stopped to think about this? I think we need much more of this. What is the gift of mercy? Mercy is giving something that's undeserved or withholding something that, that is deserved. And uh, I believe wholeheartedly that Robbie has the gift of mercy. I asked him if I could use him as an illustration, and he said, okie doke, because he's merciful. <laughs> so something happens right around here. Or someone does something, or maybe it's outside the church or whatever, and I get, I get frustrated. It's frustrating. It causes problems. And, and I just am like, ah, oh, whatever. And inevitably, for whatever reason, God has seen it fit that Robbie's always there when I feel like that because Robbie is always the first to see the good in every human being on the planet. <laughs> he sees the silver lining in everything. I don't know if he has a, a possibility of being frustrated. That's because he has the the gift of mercy. He just is so filled with mercy. And here's the beauty of it. I need him around when I'm having that issue to be reminded that I need to think more highly of others. And I need to see how God is working and how I need to appreciate their gifts. I need Robbie's gift to remind me to, to be sanctified and to seek that holiness when I'm not merciful like Robbie is. Okay, how about generosity? Now, in our society, like the money idol is a really big thing, and so we get super uncomfortable when we talk about finances and dollars in the church, but you need to know something. They talk about finances in the Bible and in the New Testament and the Old, and you need to know that, that finances are necessary to make ministry happen. And so we're running a little tight right now, and sometimes we're running in the red, and that can be really stressful, and it can prohibit us from doing really good mercy. But there are people who are generous, and people who give, and people who make it possible for us to do the things that we do, and they're following in a long line of people like we see in the Bible. We see people who are generous because God gifted them, and then they had this heart for generosity, regardless of how big or how little the resources were, they had this beautiful and amazing heart that we should all be so grateful for. The widow that Jesus pointed out, she gave less than two pennies, but it was huge generosity because she gave to the Lord all that she had. Barnabas sold a piece of property and he gave the proceeds and helped fund the early church. Uh, I believe, there's a lot of debate here, but I think that Theophilus was the one who generously funded Luke's endeavor to go and investigate and to write the, write the gospel of Luke and then to write the book of Acts that we so richly get to see what was happening in the early church from. The church in Antioch gave so generously to help the church in Jerusalem. Generosity is a big 
powerful, wonderful gift. God gifts these people. And some of you with really good jobs and a heart for generosity, the ability to make money. Some of you have the ability to really make money, way more ability than I have. And you make money, and, you, and it's, it's a gift from the Lord that you have that ability. And it's a gift from the Lord if you can generally gen, gener, if you can be generous. <laughs> but you don't have to make a lot of money to be generous. Some of you have learned to, to live very well on little, so you can be generous and help and serve others. Right? Some of you have found other ways in which you can be generous. God calls every Christian to give of his or her first fruits. And to be generous. But to some Christians, he really overwhelmingly gifts them with resources and generosity for the purpose of God's church, for the purpose of his mission, and it's a tremendous blessing. Maybe you're called to be generous. Maybe you're called. We all have gifts from God, whatever they are. And those gifts are to bless the Lord and to bless his church, and also that we could be blessed by the gifts of others. That's part of the church. It's a beautiful thing in the church. But you know what? There's, there's something else. There's something else beautiful about this, and that is how we do better together. The church is a, is a together thing. We do so much better together than we do apart. My family, we just had a, a campfire s'mores night, and the, you know, the backyard fire is great. We want to do a campfire Okay, let me get all this stuff out. Let me get the wood. Don't have a lot of wood. Okay, so I cheated. I, I, uh, I decided to take some charcoal briquettes. I had some wood, but I also had some charcoal briquettes, and I put them in a starter can. Any of you have one of those starter cans? It stacks all the briquettes up because they light better, and they get really hot when they're all contained together, and they're all stacked on top of it. When they're really tightly together, charcoal just lights better. It gets hotter. So I got these coals getting really hot in the charcoal can. I also got a wood fire going. And then I pulled the wood apart. I put the charcoal down underneath it and I restacked it all. So immediately we had really good coals for roast and s'mores. It worked wonderfully. It was fantastic. But I noticed something when I did this. I'm putting the coals in and I'm putting the, the fire together. And the stuff that was really piled together with that wood burned hot. It was red it was hot. It's so hot that flames weren't even coming off it. It was just like wavy space was coming off this hot fire. But some of the coals rolled off a little bit. They were off to the side. And what happens to those coals when they're not together with the rest? They cooled off and they went out. What happens in a good log fire when one log rolls away from the others? It goes out. There's no more fire We, when we are far from the church, cool off and eventually go out. The church is intended to be together. This is why it's important that you worship with your faith families on Sunday mornings. You know, you used to worship on Sunday morning. They'd come back Sunday night. They'd, they'd come on Wednesday. You'd have a midweek group in the middle. And that was just normal life. And we burned better. It's no wonder the world is where it's at today when we're not doing any of those things. We've all just rolled away from the fire and we expect it to be okay. It's not okay. When you get in the habit of not gathering together with the saints, you know, one week, that's fine. I mean, we go on vacation, we camp, we do things. That's fine. One week's okay. Okay, two weeks, that comes up. Three weeks in a row, oh man, starting to get a little easier. 
Pretty soon it's just easier to get to the fifth week, haven't been. Seventh week, haven't been. It doesn't take too many more weeks before you are cold and far from God. And eventually you get there, you look around, and you say, what happened? Well, it started all the way back at week two, week three, when you thought, well, I'm just too tired. I just need to rest. You know, work was busy. Well, God gives rest. His people bless one another. I just want to encourage you, don't be like the log that rolls away from the fire. That just doesn't end the way you think it will. We were designed by God to be together like a family. And when Jesus saved you, if you're his, he adopted you into a family. He didn't just save you to be a lone ranger. He's brought you into his family, and the church is the local gathering of a group of God's people to celebrate God together and to be like a family reunion in anticipation for when we will all be together in heaven for eternity. If you're not a part of that, if you're not adopted into his family, I really want to encourage you, I think you should be. I mean, I really think you should be. You need to consider that. You need to take that seriously. And I'd love to chat with you about it. Let's talk about what the Bible says it means to be a part of God's family, to be a part of this thing that God has created, which is so much better than anything else you will ever find in the world. Is it perfect? No. We're all sinful. We're all being redeemed. We're being sanctified. But it's those gifts, and it's that togetherness that's doing that work. If you want to talk about it, let's meet. Let me know. We'll go through the Bible. We'll talk. Even after church, just let me know. This text is showing us the value of what it is to be in the family of God. It's valuable to you. You're valuable to others. It's why we do this. But I think there's, there's something more. And that's a significant challenge. And, I, and I, I want you to address those challenges. And I don't want you to, to get lost in what I'm about to say and forget. Before, before I go into this next thing, I just want to say... When you leave here today, or even maybe right now, I want you to think about your gifts and how you bless others. I want you to think about how others bless you. I want you to think more highly of those others because God has gifted them. I want you to say, where could I do more? How could I be more committed to the faith family that God has put me around? Maybe it's that you get saved. Maybe it's to find a place to serve. Maybe it's to become a member. Maybe it's to join a group, something. I want you to address the things that the Holy Spirit might be whispering in your ear, but I want to talk about something else. I need to deal with one more thing that I believe this text leads us into, and it's a sensitive thing, but it's an important thing, and I want to talk about it in light of what we're reading here in Romans. So look back up to that verse before where we, where we read today, verse 2. Last week I told you this was the, the pin. This, this is what's going from the theology to the application. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Everything in the rest of the book of Romans is answering what does it look like when you're not transformed to the way of this world, but you are transformed to the way of God by the renewing of your mind. Now, it's easy to look at this age, the world all around us. It, it's, I mean, we do it all the time. We, we look at the world and look how crazy it is. It's nuts out there. Look how ungodly people are. Wow, look how rapidly it's getting further and further and further away from God. It's crazy. I think most of you, you, you feel the clutches of the society around us like 
getting in you and like trying to drag you into that madness, right? It's, 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 you've, I think we feel it. I feel it. You feel the constant pull of the world around us. Saying, come into the madness, right? I think we're all a bit alarmed by how much culture is throwing at our children to get them to conform to the insanity. It's alarming. It's scary. What do we do? Christians often will take on a very popular slogan. They'll say, we've got to be in the world, but not of the world. Most of you know that. You're nodding your heads. We've got to be in the world, but not of the world. But usually, for them, maybe for us, down deep, it actually means to stay away from the world, to flee all the things in the world, to, to run away and we'll say, well, I've got to be set apart, and I've got to be holy. But if we take that slogan to mean that we're supposed to avoid the world... It misses the entire point of John 17, verses 14 through 19, and it misses the entire point of what we're reading here in Romans 12, 1 through 8. It misses the point. Turn with me over to John 17. We're going to look at verses 14 through 19. This is Jesus, and this is where we typically get this slogan from. Let's take a look at it in its actual context and see what Jesus truly intended. If you're using one of those church Bibles, it's on page 957. John 17, starting in verse 14. Jesus said to his disciples, I have, always praying, but I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I think what Jesus is saying is, it's like a boat. The boat is supposed to be in the water, but the water is not supposed to be in the boat. But there's more. The boat is like the Coast Guard that is sent out into raging waters to pull people from the water. I think we miss that. The boat is how people are pulled from the world. But I think we think too highly of ourselves. I think in our sin, we think so highly of ourselves that we think that the world should look like us, it should be like us, that the world around us should think like us. We become the standard the world should shoot for instead of God's standard, when in fact the problem we have is we still have a lot of water in the boat. We still have a lot of the same problems and we don't even see it. We don't even realize that we use the same arguments in the same way that the world uses We use the same warrants. We use the same tactics and strategies. We are just as short-sighted. We are just as angry and frustrated. We just want different results. We point our finger at the world and we quote the book of Judges and we say, each was doing what was right in his own eyes. But if we peel that back, in reality, we want the world around us to do what we think is right in our own eyes and good for the world. We all have the same problem. 
So what we're doing is we're fighting the world with the world in the world. That is not what Jesus told us we should do. That is not what Romans says we should do. God has a different plan. God says, get saved and get adopted into his family. Right? The saved people would be there and then get really plugged in with that family, the church. Because God has blessed that family with different gifts. And he's blessed you with a gift to give to that family, but you need each other for the purpose of what? To be sanctified. To be transformed. This is how you break free from the conformity of the world. That you get around God's people together and you engage with these gifts. That you start to be sanctified and you start to be made holy and you start to be set apart. This is how you break free from the conformity in our thinking of what the world has catechized us into. This is how you will be transformed in the renewing of your mind. How do I know? It's exactly what follows the verse that says, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed. The next thing it says is be a part of the body. This is God's plan. The church is a big part of God's plan. One body in unity for God's will and purposes with Christ as the head. That's God's plan. It's through your involvement with the local church that you will be sanctified because you got to learn patience and you got to See others and celebrate them like we did with the kids during Pastor Josiah's sermon, that, that you, you get to see how God is working. It's really hard to do that on your own. It's really hard to do the stuff that the Bible talks about with the one another when you're by yourself. It is by being committed and all in with a local group of people that will be difficult at times that you will see the grace and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for all those difficult people, including you and including me. The church is a major part of that plan. But it doesn't end there. Okay, that's step one. Get saved, get plugged in with the church, be sanctified. It doesn't end there. Jesus commissioned us to go back into the world. As I was sent in the world, I'm sending them into the world. He has commissioned us to go into the world with a message as his ambassadors to find his elect people and pull the dead corpses up from the bottom of the sea as Jesus is bringing them to life, as they're suddenly saying, wow, I'm alive and I need a place, a family. We're supposed to be the ones to go out there in the rough waters in the boat to proclaim the message. And Jesus gave us his word, which sanctifies us. And Jesus gave us the church, which unifies us to go into the world for the glory of God's kingdom as he planned. Listen, hoping too much in politics and your favorite politicians, protesting, boycotting, fighting it in the courts, fighting it out on social media, fighting with your coworkers, fighting with your neighbors, all that stuff is just the world's tactics if it's not calling men and women out of the world into God's kingdom by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying don't engage the world. But I'm also not saying, you know, curl up and hide. I am saying there's no point in fighting the world with the world. Christians have been trying to do that for decades. And where has that gotten us? You think we're the first ones to have a difficult situation in the world we have to deal with? 
We're not. Now, maybe we'll be the first ones in a long time that might try it a little differently. Maybe we can do something different than the generations that came before us. Instead of fighting the world with the world, maybe we need to look for a better power, a higher power, who can do the work that God is calling us to be doing. So you go and engage, but you call men and women to come alive, to come out of that world and live for the glory of God. In Acts 19, we we read about the city of Ephesus. There was this massive conversion to Christ. So much so that one day, all these people that were kind of into these heretical things, these dark arts and this magic, all brought all their heretical books, the ones that didn't line up with God, out into the public to be burned. In today's money, because it tells us what the value of those books were in the Bible, I calculated it based on the average day labor's wage. In today's economy, all those books that that city pulled out to burn would be valued at $15.1 million that they burned publicly because they were against the Lord. Then, if that wasn't enough, the guys who were responsible for making false idols that they sold and then people would worship, the false idol industry, started a riot against Paul because they feared that Christianity would put them out of business. They were afraid that, man, if all these people start to turn to the Lord, we're never going to be able to sell all these idols. What are we going to do? What was the strategy that started all this? Well, it says right before, and it said Paul preached the word of God in Ephesus for two years. He didn't go to courts. He didn't fight. He didn't book. I'm not saying courts are bad. Boycotting is bad. All that. His chief strategy was to proclaim that dead men and women must come alive in Christ at the hearing of the word and be saved and born again. For two years he did that, and the results? Heretical books burned, riots in the streets, the gospel proclaimed. Can the world's tactics produce these kind of results? If we just keep doing what we're doing in Salt Lake City, are you, do you anticipate the results like that in our city? Is what you're doing on social media, is what you're doing to, to make known your favorite politician, is what you're doing to support court battles, is what you're doing to boycott coffee shops and retail stores and whatever, is that going to cause all the heretical books in this city to be piled up and burned? Is it going to cause riots in the street because Christianity might compete against a major industry in our city? Is it going to have that impact? No? No? I don't think it's going to. None of the generations before that tried it had any success with that. So maybe we ought to consider what Paul did and proclaim the gospel and trust in God doing what only God can do And we are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. We should do what God has charged us to do. I don't think anything less than the power of God will make a change in the crazy world around us. Not one thing. So I think maybe it's time we get on with God's plan. And God's plan... We need to think a little less of ourselves. We need to think a little more 
But our fellow brothers and sisters, we need to cherish them. We need to connect, support, and care for them as the church. We need to become a fully functioning body of many parts with Christ as the head. That's how it starts. All that we just talked about starts with you first making a commitment to the Lord, to knowing Him, to knowing Him better, to loving Him, to serve Him, to be all in committed. And then it moves from there to proclaiming His Word. That's how it starts. That's how we're sanctified. That's the first step. And we'll be blessed for it. You're not going to miss out. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be beautiful. But then what happens? What happens next? If we were all to do that, starting with you and me and, and all, and then together we're fully functioning as Christ intended, what happens next? That's what I'm excited to see. That's what I'm praying we can see in this church, in our community. I'm praying for that. We're not going to get there if we don't do the first steps. But man, don't you want to see what could happen if we do that? Don't you want to see what God might do in this crazy world for His glory? I want to see it. I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, please redeem this city by the power of your gospel. But Lord, I know that starts by your ambassadors filled with the gospel, taking that message to the streets, knowing it and living it. God, we are people who don't hardly read our Bibles. We don't hardly pray. We don't gather very often. We aren't studying. And God, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about it. My complacency in who you are. That God, I'm just asking for me and and even for this church that you would nudge us, move us, direct us to, to draw closer to you. If we just took, Lord, just just help us to take the energy we complain about the world and apply that to knowing you and then trusting you with the results. Lord, please, please, Lord, be a witness in this city to save dead men and women who need new life in Christ. Lord, please do that work. And please, Lord, make us usable in that work. That we'd be all in, fully committed, the next generation coming up behind us would be even more committed because we discipled them well. And we discipled one another well. It's going to take a work of God, Lord, even just in this church for us to get to that point. And then even a greater work of God to see this world redeemed for your glory. But Lord, we want to see it. So I humbly, humbly request that that work would start now in each and every one of us. That you would do your work in us setting us apart as holy, that we would be effective, fruitful ambassadors for the glory of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.